Martin Chuzzlewit, Chapter Eighteen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens, Chapter Eighteen. Does business with the house of Anthony Chuzzlewit and Son, from which one of the partners retires unexpectedly. Change begets change. Nothing propagates so fast. If a man habituated to a narrow circle of cares and pleasures, out of which he seldom travels, step beyond it, though for never so brief a space, his departure from the monotonous scene on which he has been an actor of importance would seem to be the signal for instant confusion, as if, in the gap he had left, the wedge of change were driven to the head rending what was a solid mass to fragments things cemented and held together by the usages of years burst asunder in as many weeks the mine which time has slowly dug beneath familiar objects is sprung in an instant and what was rock before becomes but sand and dust most men at one time or other have proved this in some degree the extent to which the natural laws of change asserted their supremacy in that limited sphere of action which Martin had deserted, shall be faithfully set down in these pages. "'What a cold spring it is!' whimpered old Anthony, drawing near the evening fire. "'It was a warmer season, sure, when I was young.' "'You needn't go scorching your clothes into holes whether it was or not,' observed the amiable Jonas raising his eyes from yesterday's newspaper. Broadcloth ain't so cheap as that comes to. A good lad, cried the father, breathing on his cold hands and feebly chafing them against each other. A prudent lad. He never delivered himself up to the vanities of dress. No, no. I don't know but I would, though, mind you, if I could do it for nothing, said his son, as he resumed the paper. Ah, chuckled the old man, if indeed— but it's very cold let the fire be cried mr jonas stopping his honoured parent's hand in the use of the poker do you mean to come to want in your old age that you take to wasting now there's not time for that jonas said the old man not time for what bawled his heir for me to come to want i wish there was you always were as selfish an old blade as need be said jonas in a voice too low for him to hear and looking at him with an angry frown you act up to your character you wouldn't mind coming to want wouldn't you i dare say you wouldn't and your own flesh and blood might come to want too might they for anything you cared oh you precious old flint after this dutiful address he took his teacup in his hand for that meal was in progress, and the father and son and Chuffy were partakers of it. Then, looking steadfastly at his father, and stopping now and then to carry a spoonful of tea to his lips, he proceeded in the same tone thus, "'Want, indeed! You're a nice old man to be talking of want at this type of day. Beginning to talk of want, are you? Well, I declare. There isn't time? No, I should hope not.' but you'd live to be a couple of hundred if you could, and after all be discontented, I know you." The old man sighed, and still sat cowering before the fire. Mr. Jonas shook his Britannia metal teaspoon at him, and, taking a loftier position, went on to argue the point on high moral grounds. 
"'If you're in such a state of mind as that,' he grumbled, but in the same subdued key, "'why don't you make over your property, buy an annuity cheap, and make your life interesting to yourself, and everybody else that watches the speculation, but no, that wouldn't suit you.' That would be natural conduct to your own son, and you like to be unnatural, and to keep him out of his rights. Why, I should be ashamed of myself if I was you, and glad to hide my head in the what-you-may-call-it. Possibly this general phrase supplied the place of grave, or tomb, or sepulchre, or cemetery, or mausoleum, or any such word which the filial tenderness of Mr. Jonas made him delicate of pronouncing. He pursued the theme no further for Chuffey, somehow discovering from his old quarter by the fireside that Anthony was in the attitude of a listener, and that Jonas appeared to be speaking, suddenly cried out, like one inspired, "'He is your own son, Mr. Chuzzlewit, your own son, sir!' Old Chuffey little suspected what depth of application these words had, or that, in the bitter satire which they bore, they might have sunk into the old man's very soul, could he have known what words here hanging on his own son's lips, or what was passing in his thoughts. But the voice diverted the current of Anthony's reflections, and roused him. "'Yes, yes, Chuffey. Jonas is a chip of the old block. It is a very old block now, Chuffey,' said the old man, with a strange look of discomposure. "'Precious old,' assented Jonas. "'No, no, no,' said Chuffey. "'No, Mr. Chuzzlewit, not old at all, sir.' "'Oh, he's worse than ever, you know,' cried Jonas, quite disgusted. "'Upon my soul, father, he's getting too bad. Hold your tongue, will you?' "'He says you're wrong,' cried Anthony to the old clerk. "'Tut, tut,' was Chuffey's answer. "'I know better.' I say he's wrong. I say he's wrong. He's a boy, that's what he is. So are you, Mr. Chuzzlewit, a kind of boy. Ha, <laughs> ha, You're quite a boy to many I have known. You're a boy to me. You're a boy to hundreds of us. Don't mind him. With which extraordinary speech, for in the case of Chuffey this was a burst of eloquence without a parallel, the poor old shadow drew through his palsied arm his master's hand, and held it there with his own folded upon it, as if he would defend him. "'I grow deafer every day, Chuff,' said Anthony, with as much softness of manner, or, to describe it more correctly, with as little hardness as he was capable of expressing. "'No, no,' cried Chuffey. "'No, you don't.' what if you did i would be deaf this twenty year i grow blinder too said the old man shaking his head that's a good sign cried chuffey ha <laughs> ha the best sign in the world you saw too well before he patted anthony upon the hand as one might comfort a child and drawing the old man's arm still further through his own shook his trembling fingers toward the spot where Jonas sat, as though he would wave him off. But Anthony, remaining quite still and silent, he relaxed his hold by slow degrees, and lapsed into his usual niche in the corner, merely putting forth his hand at intervals and touching his old employer gently on the coat, as with the design of assuring himself that he was yet beside him. 
Mr. Jonas was so very much amazed by these proceedings that he could do nothing but stare at the two old men until Chuffey had fallen into his usual state, and Anthony had sunk into a doze when he gave some vent to his emotions by going close up to the former personage and making as though he would, in vulgar parlance, punch his head. "'They've been carrying on this game,' thought Jonas, in a brown study, "'for the last two or three weeks. "'I never saw my father take so much notice of him as he has in that time. "'What, your legacy hunting, are you, Mr. Chuff, eh?' "'But Chuffy was as little conscious of the thought "'as of the bodily advance of Mr. Jonas's clenched fist, "'which hovered fondly about his ear. "'When he had scowled at him to his heart's content, "'Jonas took the candle from the table, "'and walking into the glass office "'produced a bunch of keys from his pocket.' With one of these he opened a secret drawer in the desk, peeping stealthily out, as he did so, to be certain that the two old men were still before the fire. "'All as right as ever,' said Jonas, propping the lid of the desk open with his forehead, and unfolding a paper. "'Here's the will, Mr. Chuff. Thirty pound a year for your maintenance, old boy, and all the rest to his only son, Jonas.' "'You needn't trouble yourself to be too affectionate. "'You won't get anything by it. "'What's that?' "'It was startling, certainly. "'A face on the other side of the glass partition looking curiously in, "'and not at him, but at the paper in his hand, "'for the eyes were attentively cast down upon the writing "'and were swiftly raised when he cried out. "'Then they met his own, and were as the eyes of Mr. Pecksniff.' Suffering the lid of the desk to fall with a loud noise, but not forgetting even then to lock it, Jonas, pale and breathless, gazed upon this phantom. It moved, opened the door, and walked in. "'What's the matter?' cried Jonas, falling back. "'Who is it? Where do you come from? What do you want?' "'Matter?' cried the voice of Mr. Pecksniff, as Pecksniff in the flesh smiled amiably upon him. "'The matter, Mr. Jonas!' "'What are you prying and peering about here for?' said Jonas angrily. "'What do you mean by coming up to town in this way and taking one out of wares? "'It's precious odd a man can't read the, the newspaper in his own office "'without being startled out of his wits by people coming in without notice. "'Why didn't you knock at the door?' "'So I did, Mr. Jonas,' answered Pecksniff. "'But no one heard me. "'I was curious,' he added in his gentle way, as he laid his hand upon the young man's shoulder, "'to find out what part of the newspaper interested you so much, but the glass was too dim and dirty.' Jonas glanced in haste at the partition. "'Well, it wasn't very clean. So far he spoke the truth.' "'Was it poetry now?' said Mr. Pecksniff, shaking the forefinger of his right hand with an air of cheerful banter. "'Or was it politics?' Or was it the price of stock? The main chance, Mr. Jonas, the main chance, I suspect. You ain't far from the truth, answered Jonas, recovering himself and snuffing the candle. But how the deuce do you come to be in London again? He cod, it's enough to make a man stare to see a fellow looking at him all of a sudden, who he thought was sixty or seventy mile away. "'So it is,' said Mr. Pecksniff. "'No doubt of it, my dear Mr. Jonas, for while the human mind is constituted as it is—' "'Oh, bother the human mind!' interrupted Jonas with impatience. "'What have you come up for?' "'A little matter of business,' said Mr. Pecksniff, "'which has arisen quite unexpectedly.' "'Oh,' cried Jonas, "'is that all? Well, here's father in the next room. Hello, father, here's Pecksniff.' 
He gets more addle-pated every day he lives, I do believe, muttered Jonas, shaking his honoured parrot roundly. Didn't I tell you Pecksniff's here, stupid head? The combined effects of the shaking and of this loving remonstrance soon awoke the old man, who gave Mr. Pecksniff a chuckling welcome which was attributable in part to his being glad to see that gentleman, and in part to his unfading delight in the recollection of having called him a hypocrite. As Mr. Pecksniff had not yet taken tea, indeed he had but an hour before arrived in London, the remains of the late collation, with a rasher of bacon, were served up for his entertainment, and as Mr. Jonas had a business appointment in the next street, he stepped out to keep it, promising to return before Mr. Pecksniff could finish his repast. "'And now, my good sir,' said Mr. Pecksniff to Anthony, "'now that we are alone, pray tell me what I can do for you. I say alone, because I believe that our dear friend Mr. Chuffey is, metaphysically speaking, a—' "'Shall I say a dummy?' asked Mr. Pecksniff, with his sweetest smile, and his head very much on one side. "'He neither hears us,' replied Anthony, "'nor sees us.' "'Why, then,' said Mr. Pecksniff, "'I will be bold to say, with the utmost sympathy for his afflictions, and the greatest admiration of those excellent qualities which do equal honour to his head and to his heart, that he is what is playfully termed a dummy.' "'You were going to observe, my dear sir?' "'I was not going to make an observation that I know of,' replied the old man. "'I was,' said Mr. Pecksniff, mildly. "'Oh, you were. What was it?' "'That I never,' said Mr. Pecksniff, previously rising to see that the door was shut, and arranging his chair when he came back, so that it could not be opened in the least without his immediately being aware of the circumstance, that I never in my life was so astonished by the receipt of your letter yesterday that you should do me the honour to wish to take counsel with me on any matter amazed me, but that you should desire to do so, to the exclusion even of Mr. Jonas, showed an amount of confidence in one to whom you had done a verbal injury, merely a verbal injury, you were anxious to repair, which gratified, which moved, which overcame me. He was always a glib speaker, but he delivered this short address very glibly, having been at some pains to compose it outside the coach. Although he paused for a reply, and truly said that he was there at Anthony's request, the old man sat gazing at him in profound silence and with a perfectly blank face, nor did he seem to have the least desire or impulse to pursue the conversation, though Mr. Pecksniff looked towards the door and pulled out his watch and gave him many other hints that their time was short, and Jonas, if he kept his word, would soon return. But the strangest incident in all this strange behaviour was that of a sudden, in a moment, so swiftly that it was impossible to trace how, or to observe any process of change, his features fell into their old expression, and he cried, striking his hand passionately upon the table, as if no interval at all had taken place. "'Will you hold your tongue, sir, and let me speak?' Mr. Pecksniff deferred to him with a submissive bow, and said within himself, I knew his hand was changed, and that his writing staggered. I said so yesterday. <laughs> Dear me! "'Jonas is sweet upon your daughter, Pecksniff,' said the old man, in his usual tone. "'We spoke of that, if you remember, sir, at Mrs. Todgers,' replied the courteous architect. "'You needn't speak so loud,' retorted Anthony. "'I'm not so deaf as that.' 
Mr. Pecksniff had certainly raised his voice pretty high, not so much because he thought Anthony was deaf, as because he felt convinced that his perceptive faculties were waxing dim. But this quick resentment of his considerate behaviour greatly disconcerted him, and, not knowing what tack to shape his course upon, he made another inclination of the head yet more submissive than the last. "'I have said,' repeated the old man, "'that Jonas is sweet upon your daughter.' "'A charming girl, sir,' murmured Mr. Pecksniff, seeing that he waited for an answer. "'A dear girl, Mr. Chuzzlewit, although I say it who should not.' "'You know better,' cried the old man, advancing his weazened face at least a yard, and starting forward in his chair to do it. "'You lie! What? You will be a hypocrite, will you?' "'My good sir,' Mr. Pecksniff began. "'Don't call me a good sir,' retorted Anthony and don't claim to be one yourself. If your daughter was what you would have me believe, she wouldn't do for Jonas. Being what she is, I think she will. He might be deceived in a wife. She might run riot, contract debts, and waste his substance. Now, when I am dead—his face altered so horribly as he said the word, that Mr. Pecksniff really was fain to look another way—it will be worse for me to know of such doings than if I was alive for to be tormented for getting that together, which, even while I suffer for its acquisition, is flung into the very kennels of the street, would be insupportable torture. "'No,' said the old man hoarsely, "'let that be saved at least. Let there be something gained and kept fast hold of when so much is lost.' "'My dear Mr. Chuzzlewit,' said Mr. Pecksniff, these are unwholesome fancies, quite unnecessary, sir, quite uncalled for, I am sure. The truth is, my dear sir, that you are not well. Not dying, though, cried Anthony, with something like the snarl of a wild animal. Not yet. There are years of life in me. Why, look at him, pointing to his feeble clerk. Death has no right to leave him standing and to mow me down. Mr. Pecksniff was so much afraid of the old man and so completely taken aback by the state in which he found him, that he had not even presence of mind enough to call up a scrap of morality from the great storehouse within his own breast. Therefore he stammered out that no doubt it was, in fairness and delicacy, Mr. Chuffey's turn to expire, and that from all he had heard of Mr. Chuffey, and the little he had the pleasure of knowing of that gentleman personally, he felt convinced in his own mind that he would see the propriety of expiring with as little delay as possible. "'Come here,' said the old man, beckoning him to draw near. "'Jonas will be my heir.' "'Jonas will be rich and a great catch for you. You know that. Jonas is sweet upon your daughter.' "'I know that, too,' said Mr. Pecksniff, "'for you have said it often enough.' "'He might get more money than with her,' said the old man, "'but she will help him to take care of what they have. She is not too young or heedless, and comes of a good, hard, gripping stock. But don't you play too fine a game.' She only holds him by a thread, and if you draw it too tight, I know his temper, it'll snap. Bind him when he's in the mood, Pecksniff. Bind him. You're too deep. In your way of leading him on, you'll leave him miles behind. Bah! You man of oil, have I no eyes to see how you've angled with him from the first? Now I wonder, thought Mr. Pecksniff, looking at him with a wistful face, 
whether this is all he has to say. Old Anthony rubbed his hands and muttered to himself, complained again that he was cold, drew his chair before the fire, and sitting with his back to Mr. Pecksniff, and his chin sunk down upon his breast, was, in another minute, quite regardless or forgetful of his presence. Uncouth and unsatisfactory as this short interview had been, it had furnished Mr. Pecksniff with a hint which, supposing nothing further were imparted to him, repaid the journey up and home again. For the good gentleman had never, for want of an opportunity, dived into the depth of Mr. Jonas's nature, and any recipe for catching such a son-in-law, much more one written on a leaf out of his own father's book, was worth the having in order that he might lose no chance of improving so fair an opportunity by allowing anthony to fall asleep before he had finished all he had to say mr pecksniff and the disposal of the refreshments on the table a work to which he now applied himself in earnest resorted to many ingenious contrivances for attracting his attention such as coughing sneezing clattering the teacups sharpening the knives dropping the loaf and so forth but all in vain, for Mr. Jonas returned, and Anthony had said no more. "'What? My father asleep again?' he cried, as he hung up his hat and cast a look at him. "'Ah! And snoring! Only here!' "'He snores very deep,' said Mr. Pecksniff. "'Snores deep?' repeated Jonas. "'Yes. Let him alone for that. He'll snore for six at any time.' "'Do you know, Mr. Jonas,' said Pecksniff, "'that I think your father is—' don't let me alarm you breaking oh is he though replied jonas with a shake of the head which expressed the closeness of his dutiful observation he god you don't know how tough he is he ain't upon the move yet it struck me that he was changed both in his appearance and manner said mr pecksniff that's all you know about it returned jonas seating himself with a melancholy air he never was better than he is now how are they all at home how's charity "'Blooming, Mr. Jonas, blooming. And the other one, how's she?' "'Volatile trifler,' said Mr. Pecksniff, fondly musing. "'She is well, she is well. Roving from parlour to bedroom, Mr. Jonas, like a bee, skimming from post to pillar like the butterfly, dipping her young beak into our current wine like the hummingbird. Ah, was she a little less giddy than she is?' and had she but the sterling qualities of cherry my young friend is she so very giddy then asked jonas well well said mr pecksniff with great feeling let me not be hard upon my child beside her sister cherry she appears so a strange noise that mr jonas something wrong in the clock i suppose said jonas glancing towards it so the other one ain't your favourite ain't she the fond father was about to reply as had already summoned into his face a look of most intense sensibility, when the sound he had already noticed was repeated. "'Upon my word, Mr. Jonas, that is a very extraordinary clock,' said Pecksniff. It would have been if it had made the noise which startled them. But another kind of timepiece was fast running down, and from that the sound proceeded. A scream from Chuffey, rendered a hundred times more loud and formidable by his silent habits, made the house ring from roof to cellar and looking round they saw anthony chuzzlewit extended on the floor with the old clerk upon his knees beside him he had fallen from his chair in a fit and lay there battling for each gasp of breath 
with every shrivelled vein and sinew starting in its place as if it were bent on bearing witness to his age and sternly pleading with nature against his recovery it was frightful to see how the principle of life shut up within his withered frame fought like a strong devil mad to be released and rent its ancient prison-house a young man in the fullness of his vigour struggling with so much strength of desperation would have been a dismal sight but an old old shrunken body endowed with preternatural might and giving the lie in every motion of its every limb and joint to its enfeebled aspect was a hideous spectacle indeed they raised him up and fetched a surgeon with all haste who bled the patient and applied some remedies but the fits held him so long that it was past midnight when they got him quiet now but quite unconscious and exhausted into bed don't go said jonas putting his ashy lips to mr pecksniff's ear and whispering across the bed it was a mercy you were present when he was taken ill someone might have said it was my doing your doing cried mr pecksniff "'I don't know, but they might,' he replied, wiping the moisture from his white face. "'People say such things. How does he look now?' Mr. Pecksniff shook his head. "'I used to joke, you know,' said Jonas. "'But I—I I never wished him dead. Do you think he's very bad?' "'The doctor said he was, you heard,' was Mr. Pecksniff's answer. "'Ah, but he might say that to charge us more in case of his getting well,' said Jonas. "'You mustn't go away, Pecksniff.' now it's come to this i wouldn't be without a witness for a thousand pound chuffey said not a word and heard not a word he had sat himself down in a chair at the bedside and there he remained motionless except that he sometimes bent his head over the pillow and seemed to listen he never changed in this though once in the dreary night mr pecksniff having dozed awoke with a confused impression that he had heard him praying and strangely mingling features not of speech but arithmetic with his broken prayers jonas sat there too all night not where his father could have seen him had his consciousness returned but hiding as it were behind him and only reading how he looked in mr pecksniff's eyes he the coarse upstart who had ruled the house so long that craven cur who was afraid to move and shook so that his very shadow fluttered on the wall it was broad bright stirring day when leaving the old clerk to watch him they went down to breakfast people hurried up and down the street windows and doors were opened thieves and beggars took their usual posts workmen bestirred themselves tradesmen set forth their shops bailiffs and constables were on the watch all kinds of human creatures strove in their several ways as hard to live as the one sick old man who combated for every grain of sand in his fast emptying glass as eagerly as if it were an empire if anything happens pecksniff said jonas you must promise me to stop here till it's all over you shall see that i do what's right i know that you will do what's right mr jonas said pecksniff yes yes but i won't be doubted no one shall have it in his power to say a syllable against me he returned i know how people will talk just as if he wasn't old or i had the secret of keeping him alive mr pecksniff promised that he would remain if circumstances should render it in his esteemed friend's opinion desirable they were finishing their meal in silence when suddenly an apparition stood before them so ghastly to the view that jonas shrieked aloud and both recoiled in horror old anthony dressed in his usual clothes was in the room beside the table he leaned upon the shoulder of his solitary friend 
and on his livid face and on his horny hands and in his glassy eyes and traced by an eternal finger in the very drops of sweat upon his brow was one word death he spoke to them in something of his own voice too but sharpened and made hollow like a dead man's face what he would have said god knows he seemed to utter words but they were such as man had never heard and this was the most fearful circumstance of all to see him standing there gabbing in an unearthly tongue he's better now said chuffey better now let him sit in his old chair and he'll be well again i told him not to mind i said so yesterday they put him in his easy-chair and wheeled it near the window then swinging open the door exposed him to the free current of morning air but not all the air that is nor all the winds that ever blew twixt heaven and earth could have brought new life to him plunge him to the throat in golden pieces now and his heavy fingers shall not close on one end of chapter eighteen